0: that. Um, okay, Matthew eighteen, we talk about the process for for this. Overlook minor offenses. If someone sins against you, you don't have to actually confront them over this. You can just say I choose not I choose to forgive them without even having to say anything. Uh, if, it's, if it's non-issue, if, you know, that's the mature thing to do. In fact, most of the time things stop right there. But what's step two? If you can't overlook it, if it's something that's persistent in their life or something that's causing uh, something between the two of you, then it needs to be dealt with. If every time you look at that person, all you can think of is how they sinned against you, you need to deal with it, that you're not overlooking it anymore. That's a problem. So how, what's the next step? One-on-one, Right? go one-on-one. And I think we have it here. It says talk in private. So the really step one is overlooked, but then you go one-on-one. So in private, um, you, there are times when this is not really doable. We talked about this earlier. If there's sin against you in some serious ways that could create issues with this being a, a strategy, again, we've talked about this already, but generally speaking, the first step is one-on-one if they will not hear you if they look at your one-on-one discussion they say get lost i not this is not an issue you're overreacting i didn't do that or i'm not going to con- uh, repent or anything like that what's the next step one or two more so that's two or three on one and he made the point last week which i think is really good that if you can't come to an agreement here and you say, look, I'm gonna, I want to bring other people in on this. You can either do it together and you can say, look, why don't, why don't we agree on some people who we think would be impartial in this situation? So by mutual agreement, you can say, why don't we have so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so come along and help us with this? And if you both agree, wonderful. But if they say, I don't want you talking to anybody about this, this stops here. And you say, no, we can't do that. We're not allowed to just sweep this under the rug. We have to deal with it like Christians. You can bring two or three to to deal with this, but just be careful it's not you teaming up on somebody, right? You want to make this, you want them to be there as witnesses. There's all these other roles they can play, but this is to establish the facts, right? That's part of the reason you do this. It's, it's, it's a semi-private is, is really what you're doing here, because it's not exactly private. I mean, you're involving other people, but you're not doing this in public. In fact, I would encourage you to do this at someone's house or in a church office. Don't do this at Starbucks, okay? I have been at, I've been at restaurants before or at coffee shops, and I've heard people probably not doing it biblically, but I've heard people having like uh, interventions and, and it's super awkward if you don't know what's going on. You're just like, oh, I'm hearing way too much information that I don't want to know about. And you can't help but listen. That's the problem is I don't think I'm the only one who does that. But it's like, when I hear these juicy details, I'm like, how can I not listen to this? This is just so entertaining. It's horrible. But it's true. I mean, we're all that way. We just, I can't stand it. So don't do this in a public place, okay? Do it in a semi-private place where you can have frank conversations, honest conversations. And you can do it in a way that, that is honoring to the Lord. Okay, if we keep going, if they still will not uh, hear you... In fact, Philippians 4, we didn't turn this last time, but uh, Paul actually talks to a couple people there. In, let's turn there and look at that passage for just a second. This is an example, and it's one of those examples that is an illustration of just... Uh, like, it's an off-the-hand comment that Paul makes and it's one of those things where I, I would have loved to have been present in Philippi when Paul's letter was read to the Philippian church because he's sitting there, he's, re- he's saying all these things, brethren, join in following my example. You know, um, I've told you there are some who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Therefore, my beloved, verse chapter four, my longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. And then he says, I implore... Eudia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. He says, hey, I know about these two women who are fighting in the church, and so I need you, true companion, help these people to get along there is a role for two or three people to come and help these people and this this fight was so well known that Paul had heard about it even from where he was writing okay so i would i would imagine there was some there was some cringing going on in the in the congregation as paul's letter was read but anyway semi private that's the goal two or three together the purpose being as you look at Matthew 18 to establish the facts and make sure that uh, what is being said is true. I, I have said this before and I'll say it again, that sometimes this happens and if this person approaches this person, sometimes this person doesn't realize they've been approached about a sin, okay? Because we are not always good at this. And if I go to Ryan here and I'm approaching him about something and I'm like, Ryan, you really offended me by such and such, and he doesn't hear me or I don't speak as clearly as I need to be or I'm not I'm not using the right language. I might say, hey, it kind of hurt my feelings when something happened the other day, and he's like, oh, that's not a big deal. Okay, I may take that as he's disregarding me. He may not even realize what I really mean by that. So that's why we go to two or three-on-one where these people can help clarify. Not everybody's a good communicator, right? Some people just struggle to say what they're thinking. So that's why this is important. What's the next step after this? Okay, the church. The church on one, and so this becomes again pr- public in the sense of the church, uh, church public, not public public, not newspaper public, not inviting cameras in to to broadcast on the evening news. But it is it is church public in the sense that we would we would tell the church about the sin that is persistent and unrepentant. Okay, this is unrepentant persistent sin. This is not just a disagreement over. We've talked about this already, but we're talking about serious sin that is unrepentant. And the way this works at Harvest, and we lay it out in our Constitution, is that we would have a meeting where we dismiss all non-members, and all members uh, only members over 18 typically would be allowed in a meeting like this. We would um, record the meeting for the benefit of the person who we're talking about so that they can hear exactly what was said about them and we 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 have the meeting and we explain exactly what's happened we explain the processes and even these people who were involved in a semi-private kind of situation uh might be called upon to be uh witnesses for what happened to say yes that's exactly what happened and then it doesn't stop here see a lot of times people say this is the meeting where the church votes the person out and that's not necessarily the case because what's the next phrase in matthew 18 it says, tell it to the church, and if he will not, what? He will not hear the church. What's the implication there? What is the church doing? The church is doing the same thing these people are doing, and the same thing this person was doing. They're pleading with the person to repent. They're praying, and they're pleading. So, there's a gap between this meeting, where the church is informed, and then the church dismisses this man if he continues to refuse, or woman if they continue to Uh, to refuse to listen to church discipline, uh, listen to the Word of God, okay? Because at that point, they're not acting like a believer. So, the last thing here is that you're to treat them like a non-believer. And to treat them like a non-believer, you know, the church can't decide who's a believer and who's not. That's between them and God. But a church has the obligation to, like, we do not let you join Harvest unless you're a, a believer in Christ you profess Christ as your Savior, and you've been baptized. Those are our requirements, okay? And um, if you are not demonstrating that you are a believer, if your actions do not demonstrate that, the church has the authority to say, I'm sorry, you are not demonstrating this publicly. You're not demonstrating a sensitivity to the Spirit and a sensitivity to sin and a desire to walk right with God. Therefore, as far as we're concerned, you're not evidence of a believer, and you cannot be a member of our church if you're a non-believer. It doesn't make them a non-believer. They can still go to heaven, right? It's not if they are truly a believer, but the church is required. The scripture tells us that we're to treat them like a, it says here, like a heathen and a tax collector. And that's important because how do you treat a non-believer? Well, you you exclude them from, I think I have it here on my notes here, um, we revoke membership uh, from them. And the reason we do that is it, here's your blank, it prevents the Lord from being dishonored. So you revoke membership from someone. And this is, I mean, we're talking about something that happens not that often. This is not something that happens every week, even every year, even every decade. It happens occasionally when someone who is confronted with their sin doesn't repent, refuses to repent, is stubbornly uh, refusing to repent, and, and is, is bold in their sin And in this case, you say, look, you're not like a believer. Um, So we revoke membership. And in that case, it prevents the Lord from being dishonored. Romans chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Uh, Does someone have that verse? They want to read that? Yeah, Cassie? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Okay, those who break the law and boast here in the law, they boast in the law, but they break the law. He's saying God's, God is being blasphemed because of your disobedience. God, God's reputation is at stake here. And if we have people who are members of a local church in good standing and who are living lives that are in direct rebellion against God with a high hand, I'm not saying that they struggle with sin. We're talking about someone who repeatedly disobeys God and walks in sin knowingly, Okay. Um, and then secondly, it also it, what it does, it, other believers are protected from being led astray by a bad example. Um, we see this in Romans chapter 16, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, because what's happening in 1 Corinthians 5 is there's a man who is openly, openly um, living in sexual sin, and Paul confronts him, and he says, why are you tolerating this in your church? You can't have that in your church. This is stuff that even the Gentiles, even the pagans, don't allow, and you're, you're flaunting this in your church, as if like you're so tolerant or so you know, oh that that is not something to be happy about. He says you need to deal with this, and so they do. And in Second Corinthians, the man responds the right way. This is what's so cool. Read Second Corinthians, and you see he talks about godly sorrow, and the man expressed godly sorrow for his sin, and he repented, and so there's this restoration. And so it's pretty neat to see First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, a confrontation of the sin and the response to the sin. But it, it, I don't think enough of us really recognize how easy it is for some, especially young Christians, to be swept away by bad examples if we tolerate sin. If we say, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal, people will be swept away into that to their own detriment. So we do, not, we, want to, we do not want to let people just be swept away by sin. We want to protect people from a bad example. And also, number three there, it helps the rebellious person recognize their sin and the seriousness of it turn from it and be restored to God. So, it's saying, hey, you know, this is serious stuff. Um, the truth is that most of our culture today uh, it does not treat sin very seriously. We think of sin as a joke, and people don't even consider uh, the seriousness of the sin that they engage in. So, that's the Matthew 18, um, 18 uh, pattern. The last thing I wanted to put, as I I put this in at the bottom, is the purpose of all this, the purpose of this process is to chasten, okay, not to judge, I think is what I put, or not to condemn. Oh, no, chasten out of love, sorry, I put the wrong. It is kind of judging, but it's chastening out of love. The, the, The motive the motive here is love for this person. You love that person. You're not going to let them languish in this sin. You, you, you love them. You care about them. And chastening, as I've said many times, is, is not in order to get some even with someone. You don't chasten someone to get even with them. You chasten them to draw them back to a relationship, okay? Getting even is judgment or is like um, punishment. Punishment fits the crime, I, again, I, I, forgive me if I've used this illustration too many times, but if I hit a baseball through a window, what's the punishment? Pa- would you say paperwork? paperwork. Okay, <laughs> paperwork. I was like, how does paperwork work? I don't understand. <laughs> um, pay for it. Yeah, pay for it. Right? It's not. I, I. I don't get my hands chopped off. Right? Or I don't have to spend a, a, a month in my room. Like I as a kid, I'm thinking as a kid, right? Or, or you know, this actually is a thing that um, as parents, parents need to be careful about when you, when you do punishments versus chastening, because there is a time to punish. Like, if, if they do something, punishment fits the crime, right? If they, they break something, replace it. If they do something like this, break a window, the punishment for that window is to rectify to just to make it correct. You are making them pay for what they did, but, but punishment, this is not punishment here. This is chastening because chastening is not about uh, there's a loss that needs to be rectified. It's about there is a relationship that needs to be restored. Okay? It's a huge difference because if it's a loss that needs to be, this is, the, this is what happens. If people see this as, instead of chastening, as punishment, what's the attitude? condemnation, good. Well, what's, what's the set? What do you say when, some, when you're talking about punishment? If it's, I hit the baseball through the window, it breaks the window, what's mom going to say to me? I'm going to make you what? Pay for it. So, what's the attitude of someone who doesn't have chastening? What are they going to say to this person? I'm going to make you what? Make you pay for it. You see? It becomes vindictive. If you, if you don't understand that your goal is to restore a relationship, and not to, make, not to humble them because, they, like, let's say, they, let's say they embarrassed you or something, and that's what you're doing. You're, then you want to embarrass them or humble them because an eye for an eye, right? That's not the goal of this. The goal of this is not to punish. The goal of this is to chasten. The goal of this, at every point, this stops as soon. In fact, if you're reading Matthew 18, when does, this, when does this process stop? As soon as they repent, right? It stops as soon as they repent. At any point, it could stop. Just repent, and it, and it will, and you'll be restored, and your relationship is back, and you're good. Yeah, Dave. What happens if they just walk away? Okay, good question. Um, you are limited if they just walk away. So how we treat this here is we don't have the ability to... Some churches, okay, some churches will say you cannot resign or you cannot walk away if you're in the middle of church discipline. I think that some churches have done that. Um, Practically speaking, that's very difficult to do because if you can't force people, you can't. We don't have arresting powers, right? I can't send someone to you know Ryan and I have a dust up. I can't send someone to Ryan's house to arrest him and bring him in before the tribunal. It just we just don't have that. Um, so it's very impractical to demand that. So practically speaking, how we have done it here is the goal, of course, is restoration. If they desire no restoration and they want to to leave, we allow them to resign and, and move on. And that's happened a few times. Uh, when you confront somebody over sin, that's, un, you know, unrepentant sin, um, uh, that's sometimes what they'll do. I mean, I, I understand the goal is to restore them, and I would prefer that we can stick the whole thing out, but sometimes they don't let me. They'll, does that make sense? This has, has this process occurred to harvest? Yes, yes. It's occurred a, a few times, not, not very often. And, and I, uh, we're streaming tonight, so I don't, I don't really want to get into, uh, into details. That's okay. We can talk personally if you'd like. Um, I often tell stories in very vague terms about things. I mean, this, it's been a long time since we've had to do something like this uh, specifically. Um, but, but, yeah, the goal is always to chasten someone. To, when I, Chasten sounds difficult. But discipline them, to, to, to draw them back to a right relationship. And, again, we're not talking about somebody who has, like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example i one time had somebody come to me um and they were new they were new and i taught this in intro class and uh they they they're no longer they they didn't stick around so i'm going to tell the story um they uh the 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 person the man had had a um a problem he had a big struggle with pornography okay and so he and and i knew about this uh struggle and uh he had Uh, he had told me about it at one point. Um, Anyway, he he was very concerned about struggling. He said, I struggle, I struggle, I don't want to to sin. He said, but sometimes I fall. Is this going, is this what you're, are you saying that if I fall, you're going to kick me out of the church? I said, no, we're not talking about struggling. We're not talking about somebody who is, who is fighting the good fight and the dirty, you know, is, is in the trenches and is, and occasionally falls. And, and, and it confesses and admits we 're talking about someone who doesn 't care who says i don 't care what you tell me i 'm going to do what I want to do so it's it 's an attitude it 's a totally different attitude than what, um, what what this person was concerned about so i hope i 'm not trying to scare you and say like if you if you have a besetting sin, if you have a sin that you struggle with um, that that you know that you that you, you fall occasionally and, you're, and you really struggle with that i 'm not saying that we 're going to you know break down your door and, and kick you out of the church because you haven't gotten victory over that particular sin. This is over uh, unrepentant, um, high-handed sin towards God. Okay, let's keep going. Um, was there a question? Sorry. Okay, let's keep going. Um, what do reconcilers do? If you're a reconciler, uh, just a few things here. We'll walk, work through these pretty quickly. Um, what reconcilers are able to do, they're able to help both parties make the decisions to, to restore peace So sometimes there's decisions to be made, and when you're in it, sometimes it's hard to see it, and you have other people there. They can help see the answers. They may help determine the facts. Determine, there's your blank there, determine the facts. Um, Again, when you're in the middle of something, it really helps to have an outsider, Uh, listening. And and I've often, uh, I think sometimes my wife and I say when we do marriage counseling, sometimes all we're doing is we're just uh, providing an opportunity for people to have a discussion with a third third party there. I mean, sometimes we do, I mean, a lot of times we do more, but sometimes that's what ends up happening is there's a discussion that needs to happen. And we sit there and we listen and we're like, wait, wait, okay. When he said that, he actually meant this. This is what he's trying to say and she's like, oh, that's what you're trying to say, and he's like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, (laughs) right? This happens, because we're not very good at communicating. People sometimes can't communicate, and they need help, and so that's what you're there for as a reconciler. Um, They may give advice on how to deal with the problems, okay? They may encourage repentance and confession on either side. They may direct parties to scriptures and principles. They may draw from experience to propose their blank is practical solutions, so they may say, hey, you know what works for me is I do this, or have you ever considered this? If there's a deadlock, they may help resolve a deadlock, so if there's a uh, the inability for uh, progress to be made, and if no resolution is reached, they may function as witnesses to the church during the reconciliation effort. So, um, what happens, uh, options for when the church cannot resolve the issue, he also makes the point that not every issue can be resolved in church, um, and so there's a few options you have. Number one is drop the matter and give up claims against the other person. You can just say, look, I'm not going to pursue this anymore. If there's conflict between you and another person, and you can't resolve it, you can drop it, and you can choose to be, uh, be forgiving. First Corinthians 6 talks about matters. Between believers like this. Number two, you can try to persuade the opponent to accept some other form of dispute resolution. So, you can say, well, this didn't work. Let's try something else. Um, or number three, uh, he, he makes the point here that really filing a lawsuit, it really should only be against unbelievers or non-believers and only as a last effort. This is not something you should be doing against believers. First Corinthians 6 makes it clear that we are not to take each other to court in matters of civil issues. It's completely different. By the way, this is important. This is not relevant to criminal cases. If a Christian murders your, someone in your family, it is not against biblical principles for you to take that person or allow that person to be charged. And this is actually set up in our system. I was talking to somebody about this, and this is fac- I'm not a lawyer, okay, so I don't, even, I don't even play one. I don't pretend to be, but I really am fascinated by this stuff because there's a lot of biblical concepts in law, and one of them is this. You know when someone is brought up on murder charges... It's not a person-to-person case. It's the state of South Carolina versus so-and-so, isn't it? That's how it's labeled. That's how it's stated. It's the state versus the individual. And so it's not, you. and that's part of, partly a biblical thing. You're not bringing the person to court. The state is bringing, the state has the authority to bring that person to court, and they're the ones who are doing the, the prosecution. So in these cases, when it's a sexual offense, so if someone, if someone uh, sexually abuses you, you're like, well, they're a Christian. I can't take them to court. No, no, no. They have broken the law. You you do what's proper in the biblical in, in the law. You don't you don't uh, let them. Uh, they might even try to manipulate you and say you can't take me to court because you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Don't don't listen to that. That's that's uncalled for and incorrect. So um. Anyway, that any questions about being a witness or being a, being a reconciler, helping someone else reach a resolution? I mean, you might have an opportunity to do this in your life. Most people probably won't. But at some point, you might be called on to do it. And when you are, it's important to have the right, right goals in, in mind. Okay? Yeah, Charles. Just on the point of don't go to court against a Christian, but let's say it's a civil issue. Sure. Uh, you and I had a bad business deal together. But I think you can still do it within the confines of the church and have an arbiter who is a Christian and you keep it out of the court system, but you still handle it in the church. I think... It's not like you just have to lay down and... Right. I think, I think that, and this is where um, the church really should have a role to play, is if the church can assess the situation. If, if, if Charles and I had a bad business deal, and we both thought we were right, um, we, have, we have chosen to submit ourselves to the local church. And part of that process is the protection, but also the accountability that's involved with this. That if I have, if I have acted wrongly, and the church in this in this context says marshall you've acted incorrectly you've acted wrongly you've acted selfishly or whatever um, i need to be submissive to that as hard as that might be and but there's also the protection of knowing that I, I say this often for wives wives are submitting to their husbands they are trying to be god honoring but their husband won't is, is being bad <laughs> right their husband's not being good they're trying to submit to him but then what can they do are they stuck they have no alternatives. Can they not do anything? Well, if their husband is being abusive, they can talk to their pastor. They can talk to someone in the church who can deal with this husband. And even if she's, she's being um, um, taken advantage of or not being treated properly, the, the, the men in the church can approach that husband and correct him and, and deal with him as they should. So there's, there's a role. There's a, that's a protection for her as well. Um, So anyway those are all thank you for saying that these are the the church really can resolve a lot of issues and we should uh, do that we should not be taking each other to court because it brings shame on the name of the lord Um, he ends the chapter with this idea of creating a culture of peace in the church and he says this is if you're going to create a culture in your church that encourages these things which i'm thankful to say we've been doing this for a long time at harvest we've been promoting uh, peacemaking promoting handling issues the right way the biblical way Not to say we do everything perfectly, but the goal is to deal with issues, not to sweep them under the rug, and to have the right perspective on these. And so he lists this, and I think this is helpful. So I'm going to give you the blanks as we close this out, okay? The vision of a church that is eager to have peace is is eager to bring glory to God through reconciliation. That's our vision. Eager to bring glory to God through reconciliation. Remember, the first G is to glorify God. That's our whole point. That's our whole reason we're doing this. It's not to glorify ourselves, it's not to have an easier life. It's not to make our relationship smoother, it's to glorify God, and that's how we do it. Number two, training has to be involved. So that's what we're doing tonight. We've been doing this for weeks. This is like week number 13, 14, something like that. Um, peacemaking is not natural. So we train our people to respond correctly. Uh, we go over these things, we talk about these things, and I give, try to give examples that are relevant because I want you to see how it works in real life so that when it comes to your way that you can you can be thinking right thoughts number three assistant church assistants church leaders help when members cannot solve issues on their own that's our goal is to be available to help resolve issues Um, it should be something that pastors are doing and we're thankful uh we take calls every week to try to help people through trials and conflicts and things i mean every week every week we're on the phone or meeting with people trying to help people with issues and um And that's part of what we do. Perseverance. Church should work hard to resolve relationships. Work hard. uh, We should not just say, well, we tried. (laughs) Too bad. In fact, I called a pastor one time. There was a family in our church who was just broken up because their daughter had, um, she and her boyfriend were living together. They were smoking dope all the time, and they were um, uh, uh, going to this other church in town. And they were unreconciled with their family. And I said, okay, well, let's Let's try to resolve this issue. And so I called the pastor of that church, and I said, hey, there's somebody in your church who's been going to your church. Their parents, or the person's parents, go to my church, and there's unreconciled issues between the two of them. I'd like for us to sit down and try to resolve this. Um, the couple is living together. They're not married, and they're um, smoking uh, a lot of marijuana. Well, they're smoking, I don't know how much. They're smoking marijuana. They're not, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And he said to me, um, oh, I don't get involved in personal things. I don't get involved. I don't get involved in family disputes. I think it's how he said it. <laughs> I told Jenna that. Do you remember this? I told Jenna I came home. I said he said he didn't get involved in, in family disputes. What does he do? Like what does he do with his time? Like how 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 do you how do you have a, as a pastor? I mean, I just, I got really kind of angry. I was like, how do you do that? Where you're like, ah, I don't really care. And so, as a church, we have to instill a culture where we will work hard to restore relationships because it is hard. Because sometimes it's, it's thankless. Like, you'll work with somebody and, and they'll, they'll be, both, then both of them would be mad at you. Like, right? You go into something and now everybody's angry. And I'm like, well, but I did what I thought was honoring to God. So, I did the best we could. Accountability. Church leaders must help members be accountable to what God requires. That's what this is for again. Restoration. Gladly forgive and restore. We imitate God in this. We gladly forgive and restore. We ought to be people who are known as forgiving people. Yes, if you offend, we we deal with it. We try or you sin against someone, we try to uh, reconcile, but we don't hold grudges, okay? We don't have a long memory. We we forgive like God forgives. Stability. We encourage members to see church as their long-term home. This is a problem. People when they get bad relationships in churches, what do they do? They hop churches. They say, well, I got all my I got my feathers ruffled over there. I'm gonna go somewhere else where nobody knows my problems. Okay, That, that is not a biblical way to handle your problems. It's teaching your kids a bad way to handle issues. Deal with the problems, don't just run away from them. And lastly, peacemaking will be a good testimony of Christ to the lost. Be a good testimony of Christ to the lost. I'm sorry I've gone over a minute or two, so I can't really take any time at the end here for questions. But I'll be happy to do some more next week. We've still got a couple chapters left. I'm trying to think. It was chapter 9. Um, uh, well, we've got all the way through chapter 12. So we've got three chapters left. And then I'm um, not sure what we're going to do after this, but we'll, we'll finish this up. And um, hopefully this is helpful to you. I know it's been extremely helpful for me. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the challenge you've given us to restore relationships in their church. And I pray that we would take it seriously and desire that uh, we walk uh, in love and that we have good relationships with each other. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you.